You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. So glad you're here. Hope we can make it through without you sneezing, David. Um, <laughs> it's a great pollen day here in Atlanta. And... Um, Given that this is the month of July, which is, unfortunately, the month that has the most deaths from drunk driving, uh, we thought we would spend a little bit of time today talking about alcohol, talking about the genetics of alcoholism, talking about alcohol as a depressant, and talking about how antidepressants can actually increase your risk of getting a DUI. So, I think those hopefully will be some helpful and interesting subjects for our listeners. So definitely when the when the prescription bottle says caution when used with alcohol, Correct. be very, very cautious. <laughs> Correct. Um, there are a couple of reasons that taking an antidepressant and consuming alcohol can be dangerous. And the first one is the direct combination of these two um, substances, one a substance, one a medication. If you think of your liver as a funnel and you think of the top end of the funnel being your bloodstream, and the little narrow neck of the funnel being the um, part of the liver that digests and detoxifies different substances and medications, this is where we see the interaction between a lot of antidepressants and other medications. So if you see that little sticker on any of your medications, you need to be uh, paying attention to this conversation, though we're going to focus on antidepressants. Many of the antidepressants use the exact same pathway through the liver that alcohol uses. So if you've taken your antidepressant today and uh, the bloodstream is circulating and you've got that amount of antidepressant in your system, it's going to go through that narrow neck of the funnel at a specific rate where it is metabolized and detoxified. For most people, the half-life or the effective um, time of a medication for depression is 24 hours, except for Prozac, which lasts a lot longer. But in that 24-hour period, Half of your antidepressant will have been metabolized, and that's why it's time now to take your next dose so that you keep a good blood level, an effective blood level of that antidepressant. So the same thing happens if you don't have an antidepressant on board and you drink alcohol. Alcohol has... um, a very specific way it gets metabolized, and you cannot speed that up. I know there's all the rumors about let's walk it off, let's use coffee, Coffee. let's use energy drinks, let's hang your head out the window, let's put you in a cold shower. So I I actually had a question (laughs) recently in in group about these, these places that are 
these businesses that are popping up where you go in there with a bad hangover and they hook you up on a banana bag and they give you lots of saline and they give you lots of vitamins. Right. And does that make you get um, sober faster? No. It doesn't make you get sober faster. But what it can do is replace the fluid that you've lost from drinking because, as we've talked about before, alcohol is a diuretic. So it causes you to lose more fluid than you take on. And so you actually can become dehydrated by drinking alcohol, even though you've consumed a lot of volume liquid. of liquid, especially if you're drinking beer. That's a lot of volume of lo- wick- liquid. Liquid. Thank you. Um, but it does, um, it causes you to lose more water. And when that happens, it washes out all of your B vitamins. It washes out some of your electrolytes, like your sodium and potassium. The reason in the emergency room that they call that a banana bag, which is the bottle or the plastic bag full of fluid that they give to you through an IV if you've been drinking a lot or having other issues in of dehydration in the emergency room. They call it a banana because it's bright yellow, and that's because of the potassium in it. So what these um, hangover treatment centers are doing is they're treating the hangover, but they're not increasing the metabolism of the alcohol as it's going through that narrow neck of the funnel. It can only go through so fast. So they're replacing all the vitamins that have gone out in your urine because they're water-soluble, all the electrolytes, the salts in your blood because they're water-soluble, and they're replacing the water that you've lost. So you'll feel better. Your headache is better. You might have energy again. You might feel physically better, but it's not going to mean that you're less intoxicated. It takes as long as it takes, and usually about an ounce of alcohol per hour if you've got a normal, healthy liver and you're not taking other medications. How does that How does that translate to if a person's drinking beer? Is it an ounce? Well, a beer would be an equivalent to one, one and a ou- half ounces. Okay. So a 12 ounce would be 1.5 per Mm-hmm. Each so, ounce, so it's going to take you an hour and a half to metabolize that beer and um, and and break it down. Not completely, but um, to a fair degree. So, back to our funnel idea. So we've got alcohol going straight through at its regular rate that you cannot speed up, contrary to magazines. Wives' tales, whatever, mm-hmm. banana bags. Um, you've got your medication that goes through at a certain rate. When you mix the two, if you think about it, now the funnel's got a whole lot more things in the top of it. In the hopper. In the hopper, thank you. A lot more. You've got the medication, you've got the antidepressant, and you've got the alcohol. So now both of them have to go through that narrow neck. And what's going to happen is that you're going to have more alcohol in your bloodstream than you would normally without the antidepressant or other medication on board. 
So now that hour and a half that you could be hanging out and then not driving, getting in the car driving, you may not have metabolized a quarter of it. A quarter of it. And because of that, you now will have a higher blood alcohol level than you would if you were not taking the antidepressant. Even if you have not had any more to drink than you usually can low-risk drink. Mm -hmm. And this is a big problem. And the more of those bottles of medication that have those little stickers on them, the <laughs> the slower all of that is going to happen. Now, I have a question here. Mm-hmm. Um, if a person is using Benadryl or an over-the-counter cough medication or something like that, um, does that metabolize through that same exact pathway? It very likely could, depending on the ingredients, and that's where reading um, the bottle if it's not a prescription med with a big sticker on it, read the bottle and it will say, do not use while consuming alcohol if that same pathway is being used. That well, might be one reason for the sticker. Another reason for the sticker is if there is something about that medication or something about that over-the-counter medication that has a sedating effect, a central nervous system sedating effect. Alcohol has two, and those two are also now additive. Mm -hmm. So it may not be the pathway through the liver. It may not be the funnel that's the problem. It may be that you've got something that's already going to decrease your alertness, Uh make you more sleepy, make you more off balance, uh, impair your judgment, and now you've doubled that or quadrupled it depending on um, the relationship, now you've increased the risk that you're going to have central nervous system depression and um, and greater impairment. So that's going to affect your ability. Your, your blood alcohol level may not necessarily be raised, but your ability to pass a field sobriety test, for example, may be significantly impaired. Right. And... Um, in the past, people have said, oh, well, I'm, that's a good reason to get out of a DUI. Well, that might have been a good reason to get out of a DUI before we knew this routinely. Mm-hmm. But now that those little stickers are on your bottles and the little warnings are listed on the over-the-counter medication, um, that's even if you haven't read it, even if you ignored it, even if you never considered it, that is not an excuse or a get out of jail free card because you have been warned. And the fact that you didn't listen to ignorance the warning, is not a <laughs> right. so it defense. might just help the person understand why they look so horrible on the video, right? Even though their blood alcohol level was relatively low, right? Um, but still, if uh, the other thing is that some of these medications can actually pro- propensiate. Is that how you say the word? Accentuate the effect of the <laughs> alcohol, especially if it's like a, a anti-anxiety or a sleep medication, right. where where it might you might think I just had one drink and it's going to actually be more like you had three or four. Correct, and and it could be either because of the 
more stuff, more junk in the hopper waiting to go through the narrow neck of the funnel through the liver, or it may be because of the direct effect on the brain and that it is also impairing or activating the same centers. One of those centers, a benzodiazepine, like a Xanax or a Clonopin, an Ativan, or a Z drug, the medications for sleep, like Ambien or Lunesta. These kinds of medications also release GABA, and that's a neurotransmitter in your brain that alcohol releases. And GABA is the neurotransmitter, the messenger in your brain that calms you down, helps you relax, helps you go to sleep. So it has a sedating effect and is going to have that kind of effect generally. But if you take something else that's going to potentiate that, like alcohol, or you're mixing multiple meds that all work on that same center, now suddenly you've got a lot more effect than any one of those taken by themselves. And this is where people do get into a lot of trouble thinking, I've gone to the party, I've had my normal level of, um, of alcohol, Usually I'm fine to drive, nobody has a problem with me, and suddenly on their way home, they get a DUI. So mixing meds with alcohol, not a good thing. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about other reasons that antidepressants might not be good for you if you're using alcohol. Thanks for listening. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. Today, um, Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center are with me, and we're discussing alcohol and antidepressants or other medications um, in general, and we discussed some of the reasons that you are at much greater risk for a DUI and greater impairment adding alcohol 
to the medications or the over-the-counter uh, supplements or medications that say do not use with alcohol, they're really serious, and it, you need to heed that because it can be a big, big problem. Um, there's another reason that serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the SSRIs, which are a fairly common and popular type of antidepressant that is um, frequently prescribed not just by psychiatrists, but by primary care doctors or OBGYNs or even pediatricians for children. Um, there's another reason that we might need to be a little bit more concerned and a little bit more cautious when the person's dopamine releaser of choice is alcohol. So back in the olden days, we talked about two types of alcoholics, right? Type A, type B, type 1, type 2. And um, these two types of, anti- uh, of alcoholics have been described for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big difference in the age of onset of the drinking. There's a big difference in terms of the tra- trajectory of first-use problem. There's, um, there's a big difference in these two different types of alcoholics. So initially, when we would talk about these types, we actually talked about it as male pattern alcoholism. <laughs> right. Because back then it was thought that if your father was an alcoholic and your grandfather was an alcoholic and you drank and you could drink more than all, the, all of your buddies around there and you're male, that you've got the same exact pattern. And mm-hmm. so we had this male pattern of alcoholism that started with the first drink around 16 or 17 and mm-hmm. within 10 years you were um, needing to quit drinking really really badly versus this later onset female pattern where some stressful incidences led them um, to to lose control right we've since realized it's not quite so so gender specific correct no uh, it's not quite so gender specific and it's also they're both genetically regulated they're just different. And that's one of the issues um, that we've, we have with trying to find, quote, the gene for addiction, because it's not one gene. Mm-hmm. It's a, a variety of genes. It's a variety of genes that are throughout your genome, the little snips that can make a difference as to whether or not you are genetically prospective predisposed to addiction or not, and in what way that might be affecting you. But the type A and the type B alcoholics have been described. So the type A is the functional alcoholic, the person who probably begins drinking in an alcoholic way later in life. They may have started drinking in high school or in college, but it wasn't in a problematic way and it wasn't in a compulsive way until later in life. And these folks are able to, quote, function for a long time. They hold down a job, they may have a family, they may be active in their community, and more gradually 
the consequences of alcoholism catches up with them. They start to have some health problems. They may begin to have some relationship issues, the family, the spouse, not so happy. And this can be male or female. Um, contrary to our original training, David, <laughs> you and I back in the olden days were trained. <laughs> this was really a disease of men, and women rarely had it. Um, not so, not so. Uh, but... <coughs> But this idea of the classic example of the businessman who in their 40s, 50s, or 60s, things begin to unravel, though they've been drinking pretty heavily and have had some impact in their life for a long time. They tend to not come into treatment until later in their life, and they have a, gen a different genetic pattern that makes them genetically vulnerable if they're exposed to alcohol and if they're exposed um, to a reason to continue to drink. Well, one thing about those that type also is that many times those are the successful business people Correct. that also tend to have all these enablers taking care of things and mm -hmm. cleaning up behind them and, and, and cleaning up in front of them to make them not look bad right? already. Somebody is thinking ahead to help that person move along so that they can move along with that person. Right, exactly. Or you might see the, the stay-at-home mom uh, who is able to contain her drinking primarily to the day. Um, this is always a very interesting pattern that they get up, they get ready in the morning, they get the kids off to school on the bus, they come home and they drink, and they drink at lunch, and they have a nap, and then by 4 o'clock when the kids are coming home from school, they don't drink in the evening. Or they might drink if they were going out to a dinner or something, but that's not when they drink. They drink in the morning, and they drink... Um, with lunchtime. With lunchtime, and then they um, they stop. And, and so they're able to contain their drinking. Mm -hmm. Or they may be a businesswoman in the same kind of thing and an active career where entertaining and traveling is part. And, and they're able to manage that. Right. When there is the, the change that happens when you become an empty nester, this is when we see many women now really starting to drink yes and that need to be sobered up by four o'clock uh, goes away because the kids have gone off to college uh, the husband is off to work and many of their activities have been and their relationships have been related to their children mm -hmm. their friends were the other parents on the soccer team or their friends were the um people in the neighborhood that also had kids that were trading play dates. So this uh, structure that the woman has had is now not there. And um, their drinking often escalates. And so we see a lot more significant problems. That's often a surprise to the family. They really think Thought they have no idea right. that there was even an issue here. And now suddenly... Mom's uh, getting a DUI. Or, <laughs> right. a or she's um, embarrassing everybody at the wedding, or she's having trouble finishing Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, suddenly the whole family is just looking at each other 
not even realizing that mother mom had this problem a long right. time ago. So they'll be entering treatment at a later stage and an older age. We also see many of the business people have been able to hold it together because they can't be smashed in front of colleagues or, or their clients. But when they retire, they have that same phenomenon. Their structure that kept them regulated has gone away and they are having more and more trouble because there is no reason that they can't uh, that they have to wait till five o'clock or right. uh, that they can't have a drink whenever they want and so we really see this low level simmering alcoholism that's been held at bay to some degree or another. Yeah, their doctor's saying your liver's not looking good and you're anemic and there's some other things, but... This has also been part of why there's been so much confusion as to whether this is genetics versus environment. Right. Because there's so many people in their lives that support them and help them to be successful and give them all this structure um, that, that suddenly... You're able to look at and say the environment, the friends, the people, the parents, whatever, something other than genetic predisposition towards this disease. Right. And uh, folks not really recognizing that it's been there all along, um, that there have probably been warning signs, but the, the enablers, whether that's the administrative assistant, whether that's the travel agent, whether that's the spouse, whether that's the doctor that just doesn't mention your liver function looks pretty bad, you need to stop drinking. Um, or the one that just says that the heart issues. Right. Aren't related to anything right. other than you need to go for a walk. You've got atrial fibrillation, which one of the most common causes of is <laughs> alcohol, heavy alcohol use. Um, doesn't they? Don't, our patients don't even get questioned right. about what level is their alcohol, um, or the way in which the questions ask. You don't drink more than two drinks. A day, do you? Oh, no, uh, with, no, no. <laughs> with the with the implied answer, of course, uh, in how the question is is phrased. So there are lots of enablers, but as you look back, you can see they had some trouble in college. They may have lost a job or two along the way. There may have been times when mom was really sick. Um, th- there may have been these warning signs that that alcohol was playing a much, much bigger role in that person's life. But um, it often comes as a huge surprise to their uh, their children, their colleagues, their neighbors. They, they can't believe it. They're, they're shocked. So that's the type A alcoholic, genetically inherited, uh, usually not a significant legal problems. They may get a DUI that brings them to everybody's attention, but they haven't had other arrests for disorderly conduct or um, assaults or robberies or other kinds of criminal behavior. Um, They often have some depression or anxiety, but it's hard to tease that out from just the normal response to either being intoxicated or being in withdrawal, which happens for people who are late stage in their alcoholism. So um, they tend to have 
less serious psychiatric disorders. They tend to have more serious medical problems, but are often poorly or undiagnosed as being related to alcohol. And um, they, uh, they, they tend to not need not need. They need treatment earlier, but they tend to not get treatment until later in life. So this is our type A alcoholic. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about type B and why type B needs to be really careful with SSRIs. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works. 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. Just a reminder to everyone, please be very careful uh, throughout all of the year, but especially the month of July, because of the risk of drunk drivers and because of the high death rate that happens in this month across the country. Don't let your friends drive drunk. Make sure that um, you are taking 
advantage of all the rideshare opportunities or taxis and make sure that uh, if you are hosting a party that you um, shut down the drinking early and you provide a lot of water, a (laughs) lot of water for people so that um, they... May keep hydrated. Keep hydrated and that they may decrease their risk. So we've talked about the type A alcoholic, um, genetically inherited, um, much later onset in terms of significant impairment, much later time for them to enter treatment generally, and... Um, while they too can wreak a lot of it, a lot of havoc in their own life and in their families and in their work life, uh, they tend to be. Uh, they tend to have more coping skills. They tend to have a support network of people around them, not just the enablers, but other people. So so they have a little more skills to deal with some of the circumstances that they're in. Type A alcoholics. Type A alcoholics. And, and the, they, their drinking career has a little bit more longevity. Correct. And they also tend to have a lot more responsibilities mm-hmm. in their life that also helps modify their... Right. Their abilities. Or, or they have employees or they have children or somebody that, that, that forces them to be responsible longer. Right. And they often have developed uh, more normal coping skills. They often have developed uh, careers. Um, often they're in family situations. And so a lot of the struggle that we see with younger folks with addiction They've, they've got through some of those things, and they do have some skill sets. Not to say that these are easy folks to treat, because they're not necessarily, but it's a different mode of treatment for this particular group of alcoholics than you would when we talk about the type B alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So type B alcoholic, <laughs> <laughs> they don't tend to get any of those benefits. Correct. Um, they Come, they show up at treatment much quicker because they tend to, to have a much quicker impact from when they're they're drinking. Right. Um, they tend to um, have a lot more consequences real quickly. Um, I believe I'm sitting near an al- uh, type B alcoholic <laughs> presently. I don't think anyone should have any doubt about that. <laughs> My family certainly does not. <laughs> <laughs> Not to point at fingers or name any names. It took me a minute. It took you a minute um, <laughs> to recognize that you were a type B alcoholic. Um, but to make you feel better, type B alcoholics have a 100% greater chance of developing diagnosable alcoholism within three years. <laughs> Correct. Quick stat. <laughs> you can, you can you you know them when you see them. Absolutely. They they tend to be drinking quite um, quite significantly, very frequently, as much and as often as they can. Um, they also are not necessarily limited to just alcohol. No. They often experience other substances and they may have a they may have a, a wide variety of we were experiences. we were the type that if the 
pill bottle had a little label on it that said, do not mix with alcohol, we thought, well, let's take three of those <laughs> right, and four. mix it right. with alcohol. Because that's got to be good. Yeah. If one is good, four is much better. Better. So they also tend to have more legal consequences more rapidly. And hence, I think they get diagnosed more quickly because often one of the um, advantages, disadvantages, depending on which chair you're sitting in, of um, our legal system is that more and more our legal system is recognizing the disease of addiction and providing opportunities uh, for people to uh, get into treatment programs as part of the consequences for whatever laws they may have broken. Well, also, you have to look at the fact that you may be the type B drinker. You know that really quickly. But you personally. Yes, you personally know it rather quickly. But you also still have that thought that this time is going to be different. My next, my next outing, my next uh, drinking um, situation is going to be di- different. I'm not going to let myself do that. Well, in, in their initial period of drinking, their early period of drinking, they're often the life of the party, and they're often the one people want to have there At because the they're going to get things going. They're going to bring all kinds of energy and adrenaline and excitement, and everybody's going to have a lot of fun initially. <laughs> um, but then they're the one that doesn't want the party to end, and they they um, over. they want to take the party on over to the next location, and they're the one that also says, I can drive, I'm totally fine, because part of part of the dynamic is that, that they have a sense of invincibility. Right. Accentuated by the alcohol. (laughs) And accentuated by the fact that their brain is usually not fully developed until their late 20s. And a lot of their heavy drinking behaviors begin well before they have a fully (laughs) adult brain. And so they really don't have the capacity to recognize consequences. I got sober before my brain became fully myelinated. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully. Just in the nick of time. Absolutely. Just in the nick of time. So these folks also uh, tend to have uh, more psychiatric um, disorders. They are more at risk for developing post-traumatic stress disorder, for having um, more significant um Problems and trauma, part of it because when you're under the influence of alcohol, you often uh, don't recognize the danger in a situation and you may be more vulnerable to being victimized. Mm-hmm. Also, the tendency for some folks with this genetic uh, makeup may have early childhood trauma that. Um, created a lot of pain and suffering for them and they were looking for ways to relieve the pain and found very quickly that alcohol is a good option in terms of decreasing their anxiety, helping them not feel pain, helping them not to care so much. 
So we see that often these folks have a high level of co-occurring disorders that need to be treated. They aren't co-occurring disorders related to, okay, you're in detox, of course you're depressed, you're coming off alcohol, of course you're anxious, you can't sleep, that that all of these symptoms that would be identifiable as psychiatric disorders disappear in about six to eight weeks as they get through their initial detox and treatment. So Although there are there are more gene studies that are showing that there are some genetic um, connections between alcoholism and major depression and bipolar disorder and they're finding that that a lot of them will benefit from treatment for those disorders once they've gotten the alcohol correct um, under addressed. control <laughs> right right it doesn't tend to work the other direction but well, they're finding that if they do this and then address that and and the the B type alcoholic usually starts younger so they don't learn their coping skills as as a adolescent going through certain various um, steps along the way that right. most people learn okay at this age you know you you start to learn that yes you're vulnerable and less but you walk through it and you deal with it and then you go on to the next lesson whereas the person the B type I th- I believe learns that oh my gosh if I smoke a joint or if I drink five beers I don't have to worry about that right doesn't so matter it doesn't there's no reason to learn how to do it. You just use. Right. That's that's your that's your go-to. That's your default. Um, that's what happens. And because of this early um, heavy use, maybe not significant enough that it gets them into treatment early, but it certainly impacts them. So they may have impact on athletic careers, college careers. They may find themselves dropping out of school, not doing as well in school, having to change their path uh, because doors have been closed, bridges have been burned, and and it can have lifelong impact for them. Yes. Because they have not been able to negotiate some of those um, life skills and those milestones that our type A alcoholics has have usually been able to stumble through to some degree or another. So they um, they have a lot of um, significant issues. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't tend to have a lot of the serious physical problems, although they still can. They are more likely to have injuries. They're more likely to have head injuries. They're more likely to have broken bones and other kinds of physical trauma issues than um, than some of the um, older alcoholics, although they do as well in the end stage of their alcoholism, they're falling and they're having accidents and so forth. So there's some bad news associated with this particular type of alcoholism that has a big impact on this person immediately, but for the rest of their life as well. Well, and I think, um, and this is just kind of my viewpoint from looking back at things, but when you're in certain situations and you're you're the type B alcoholic that you can be around a lot of people 
that are dealing with maybe over-drinking or problem drinking or excessive drinking, but then they stop Mm -hmm. and they move on. Right. Whereas we see that and think, well, that's normal behavior, so we'll just continue doing it. Right. And they aren't able to stop, as some of their companions who, um, if you match them drink for drink, you might think, well, both of those individuals are alcoholics. But what we know is both of those individuals can have some significant consequences from their alcohol. But the person who's genetically predisposed as a type B alcoholic cannot stop. Consequences don't Don't stop them. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about the advantages that you have as a type B alcoholic. So please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio and the America's Broadcast Network.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. Today in studio with me are Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about alcoholism. We've um, reviewed the type A alcoholic, which is the older um, individual who comes into treatment, later onset of consequences, genetically inherited the same, but uh, a different trajectory and a different way in which treatment needs to be 
not only introduced but provided for them, there are differences, and this is one of the important things when we talk about individualized treatment. When we talk about the type B alcoholic, we outlined a lot of the difficulties um, <laughs> that this particular individual has because of the very fast trajectory of this um, disease. Demise. And, uh, the de- demise, hopefully not demise, but certainly... There has to be a certain amount of demise. There is cer- a certain amount of demise. For the wake-up experience to happen. Yes. But also part of... The consequence for this group in particular is that alcohol and drugs is an instrumental part of their lives during a really formative time of their life right. where they should be learning how to manage stress and how to manage boredom and how to manage um, disappointment in relationships and the anxiety of building relationships. So they have a lot of learning that mm-hmm. got Doesn't missed happen. that has to happen if they're going to be able to, to sustain recovery. And their family members need to recognize that these people don't know how to do a lot of things that, that should seem really easy. And while on uh, on the one hand they may be mature, they may look mature, they may have had some successes in their lives, emotionally and relationship and self-regulation has been stunted at whenever they really started using heavily, which may have been in puberty. Right. And so we talk about rehabilitation for our adult um, uh, people with addiction, but um, many times we talk about for adolescents and young adults, we talk about habilitation, that we actually have to not only help them learn to deal with their disease of addiction and manage that and manage the consequences, but they've got to learn some life skills that just in looking at them, you would have no idea they don't know how to manage and they don't they they need really some very basic habilitation they right. need some life skills in a in a in a very simple way that um is well, often overlooked and therefore their recoveries are not as successful mm-hmm. so an important thing though in a positive way though our type b's have a lot of consequences they often have a significant bottom as we talk about mm-hmm. um earlier on Right. And because of this, they may become engaged in treatment in a much earlier, a much younger age. And lots of these things, if they can stay with it and if they can um, uh, stay engaged, then what we see is they can really have some remarkable outcomes and remarkable stories. And this is the, the gift, if you will, of the type B. They have a whole lot of years that they can really make a positive impact with their life. We also know that there are medication options genetically for this particular group, the type B alcoholics, that don't work for the type A. A lot of the medical interventions to help with cravings and to uh, help in other ways are not nearly as successful for the type A alcoholics as they are for the type B. Right. So there is a medication called naltrexone, which is an opiate blocker 
very often used to help people with opioid addiction. But for the type B alcoholics, this helps them significantly decrease their cravings Mm -hmm. and helps them stay sober from alcohol. It's quite remarkable. The type B alcoholics are generally the ones that are drinking to take a good time and let's just turn up the volume and make it a better time. And, and that is because this type of alcoholism affects the opioid receptors as well as the dopamine, as well as the GABA. So they get a, an additional Increased. high. And, and therefore, when we block the opiate receptor we help and keep it occupied, um, we see that these folks often do better in terms of um, cravings using a medication called naltrexone. It's also available in a uh, monthly injection mm-hmm. that can be very helpful for these folks in terms of maintaining their sobriety. There's also a medication called Zofran, and many of you in the audience may be going, oh, I know that word. Where am I knowing that from? It is an anti-nausea medicine, and it has been very helpful for people with all sorts of different types of nausea, but it is very helpful for cravings for people with type B alcoholism. So it really significantly decreases their cravings, helps them stay in recovery, helps them have less of a buzz from the... Um, if they were to drink? If, if they were to drink. So both the they, don't get that, they don't get that added benefit mm-hmm. that they're looking for, which yeah. kind of makes them say, well, what's the use? Right. This isn't helping. Why would I want one drink? Right. This isn't... It's not worth the time or the effort. So both of these medications can limit the um, the euphoria and therefore can be helpful in having that person be able to early on manage their cravings and decrease or discontinue their use of alcohol. They also do really well often in treatment if um, they can become engaged. And the 12-step well, that's program what I was just going to say. Well. Um, for that, for my type, for the B type, once they get themselves away from the alcohol for a short period of time, sort of the detox period, and then engage in going to meetings, getting a sponsor, and meeting people, it keeps them much more engaged, and it's a much easier transition. Once they find the the group that's going to connect for them, mm-hmm. whether it's AA or Smart Recovery or whichever, right. when they go into that one where they have that click and they really feel connected, they're able to thrive. Um, um, one of our one of our people recently was talking about a situation with his sponsor where he was saying, well, I just don't get anything out of this meeting. And the sponsor said, well, if you went to a bar and you didn't have a good time, would you just quit drinking or would you find another bar? And so in that same scenario, <laughs> you have to find the room that's going to fit for you. True. And if this particular is group isn't the one, there's, there's, there's with always. AA, there's, there's a thousand meetings a day in most cities. <laughs> so just go find another one and see which one you're going to connect with. Mm-hmm. And more and more places are having meetings that are uh, geared towards the young adult, the young person, even the teenager. 
And this, I think, is a real important benefit that we didn't have so much before. It was really difficult for a young person to go into a meeting of 40, 50, 60-year-olds, uh, grumpies um, that uh, were not necessarily was, dealing with the same life issues. In my home group, the first year of sobriety, there was a young man that um, celebrated five years of sobriety, and he hadn't turned the legal drinking age yet. Which back then was? 19. <laughs> So I'm laughing. It's not funny, but it is um, pretty amazing that many of our type B alcoholics are really um, identified, have gotten in serious complications, are real alcoholics, as the big book talks about, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And they're often in recovery and sober before they turn a legal drinking age. So very, very important um, for families to be well aware of the consumption of alcohol, the missing alcohol, and the many ways in which your alcohol can be altered uh, to look as though no one has been borrowing your alcohol, which is often the source, um, the initial source for young people to begin to drink, and they will drink. Absolutely. um, So a couple things that I think that they really have a difficult time with that I think if people are aware and they can help them learn it as in a kind of a coaching way, um, being able to manage and tolerate boredom. Absolutely. Because that's one feeling that, that they learn immediately how to change. And then also how to be able to go up and say, hi, my name is so-and-so, and just begin a relationship without some substance in their body. Because for most of them... It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah. Being in a protected group where you come in and people are asking you questions and they're helping you with that initial relationship stuff feels really nice and nice and at, and they do it really well. But tell them, okay, now go to an AA meeting or go to a smart recovery meeting and they'll give you a thousand excuses for why they can't make that step. But the reason is they're terrified. And that, again, they have not necessarily learned the same skill set that some of their older alcoholics, uh, people with type A alcoholism, they've learned to introduce themselves and to be in awkward situations and to ask directions or ask for help, where young people have a really hard time with that, especially because they assume everybody else is doing it just fine. The boredom issue for all of our patients, regardless of age, is a real serious problem. And I think it's getting more serious as we have a lot more instant gratification that's available with our screens and some of the other shows that we've had before. Mm -hmm. But the idea that um, people learning how to self-soothe, learning how to entertain themselves without having to be under the influence of a drug or alcohol, Uh, these are skill sets that are very, very important for individuals to learn and to have treatment centers help them learn. Right. So we wish you all a very safe rest of the month of July, and we look forward to seeing you next week on Detailing Addiction. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.